Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 308 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, and I'm excited to be with you today, bringing you a different type of episode. I've done a few of these before, but I'm bringing you the Instagram live Q&A that I did with an athlete I coach, Nicole Winter. She is a running influencer on Instagram and has over 84,000 followers on her running account, and she's got over 100,000 followers on her strength training account. She's an athlete who lives in Austin. I helped her train for her first marathon, and now we're gearing up for an attempt at a Boston qualifier here later this month. In this case, we flipped the script. She asked me questions from her listeners, which are always really good, and I give you my answers. So I'm going to play that conversation in full, and I think there's something in here for everyone. So... We'll get to that conversation in just a second. Before I get there, I want to quickly thank my sponsor for this episode, a partner I've been working with for about two years now. We're going to be chatting about them mid-episode as well. I'll break into my interview for that. But thanks to Careof for sponsoring this episode and for supporting me over the last couple of years. Again, I'll talk to you more about my partnership with them, what they can do for you, and give you an offer code mid-episode. So stay tuned for that. All right, without further ado, we'll jump into my conversation with Nicole. Here we go. Hey, Chris. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm tired. We had our <laughs> speed workout this morning that Chris put us through hill repeats, so I'm worked, feeling it. Yeah, worked too hard this morning. Yeah, it was good, though. I think it was the humidity. It, yeah, we, um, got to, we got to summer here really fast. Mm-hmm. Quickly from winter to 80 degrees. Um, okay, well, let's do the usual Go ahead and introduce yourself so everybody knows who you are, and then we'll get right into our questions. Yeah, my name is Coach Chris. I've been working with you, Nicole, for what, a year and a half or so now? Yeah. Helped you prep for your first marathon, Mm -hmm. and now we're on a journey to get that Boston qualifier, so that's been fun. But I'm the owner and one of the coaches at Rogue Running. Also have a podcast called Running Rogue, and my passion is to help people become better humans and hopefully get a little faster along the way through through running and so that's that's what i do all day every day is help help athletes get faster do you ever get get sick of running (laughs) no i don't to be honest it's i'm lucky in that i've found a way to merge my career and my life passion and I only have to look at the athletes that I get to coach and the inspiration that they bring me to keep going. So it's, it never, it's never, a never ending cycle of inspo. <laughs> never, never wears me down. You have like the dream job because all I do is talk about running and I have to be strategic, like what friends I'm with and when I can talk about it, because if you're a non-runner, it just, nothing <laughs> makes sense. Um, okay. We'll get right into the questions. Um, first, I felt like this was relative to ask first, how do I find a run coach and what credentials to look for? Yeah, it's a good question. I would say it can be difficult because sort of like finding a a good personal trainer, there's a lot of them out there and the credentials that you necessarily might see aren't usually that helpful. The, you you can see, you might see people that will talk about USATF coaching Mm -hmm. certification or a RRCA coaching certification, which is Roadrunners Club of America. Those coaching certifications are good in a sense that somebody will have some foundational knowledge, but you can get those certifications by sitting through a weekend of seminars. Right. And they 
they aren't necessarily an indicator of good practical experience. So I like to advise people to make sure that they have, they're connecting with somebody who has real coaching experience, you know, with athletes. And so oftentimes that will come through recommendations from others that you can get from other runners, from local running stores, from other run clubs or communities that might connect you to coaches. So that's my best advice is to ask around, ask those people that are embedded in the community, find who the good local coaches will be. Or if you're looking for virtual coaches, follow people like Nicole who can usually help you connect to people like me. Yeah. And this is exactly why we do this. I think there's kind of a blurred line now with people on social media that give advice, but that does not mean like people will ask me questions all the time that I am not qualified to give advice on. And I will make sure to say that. So I think it's important to find um, if you are finding somebody on Instagram, just to be mindful that not everybody's a run coach just because they post about running, which is why you're here to tell us all the good stuff right now. I appreciate Um, that you know your limits. Yes. Yes, for for sure. I'll just pass them along to you. Um, Okay. After running a half marathon, how much time do I need to recover to then train for a full? So I think this depends on if you're focusing on the half and then going to a full, or if you're using a half as a build to a full, which can also be done. But for a moment, I'm going to assume this this is somebody who's focusing on the half, Mm -hmm. then wants to transition separately to training for a full marathon. My typical recommendation for any long race is that it takes about a mile per uh, a day per mile of the race to fully recover from that race. So about two weeks for a half marathon, about three weeks for a marathon. When you should be moving, you should be doing easy movement, starting with walking and then getting back to easy running, but without a lot of formal structured approach or training and certainly not a lot of speed work in those two or three week windows. Once you're done with that period and you feel good and refreshed, then you can start rebuilding again. But you want to do it in a way that is, again, periodized to peak at the, the new goal race. So for a marathon, I recommend typically people train for 20 to 24 weeks. So once you finish that two week recovery process, then you could start that build process that might be 20 to 24 weeks where you start by going back to the basics, rebuilding your base and foundation, and then building to a focused training, you know, then going through a focused training block towards that new race. One of the common mistakes people make is thinking that they can then shortcut that next training block, mm-hmm. which you really can't. I mean, you certainly can in order to get it done, but if you want to get optimal results and and also give yourself the long-term, the, the best path to a long-term potential, then you're going to then go back again through those phases. Right. So you have to detrain from the race you just finished and then build again through the right phases to the next race in order to get the best out of yourself. I think that's kind of a common question that I got was like, does that count as your buildup to the marathon? Like, do you just pick up where you left off? So you're saying, no, don't do that. If you're focusing on that race as an A race, that half as a focused target race for a given mm-hmm. period, then you should give it its proper space, recover from it, and then start again. Okay. If you're using a half as a build race mm-hmm. where you're doing that in advance of a marathon because you can use a half on the pathway to a marathon as essentially a training opportunity. Usually I like to see those races. If you're using that as a prep race of sorts, four to eight weeks out from your marathon Mm -hmm. and then finishing your build to the marathon. But that is different than focusing on a half as an A race. 
Right. When, I, when I use the terminology A-race, I'm talking about a focused peak where you're trying to get the most. Ultimately, our bodies can only peak two or three times a year. So when you're peaking for a race, you want to put everything into it. You want to focus on it. You want to give it its full due. And so if that's a half or a marathon, great, but make sure you give it the space for it to be the primary focus in a given training block. And for a marathon, we can use a half to build to it, but then that house, that half is secondary and it's, it's something that's used as a stepping stone rather than a primary goal. Right. That's what we were going to do this fall. RIP. <laughs> um, okay. We're going to move on to heart rate zones. What do they mean and where should we be? So I guess you can kind of explain your thoughts also on like heart rate based training within this question. Yeah. Heart rate can be a great way to train because it's just like pace and perceived efforts. It's another way to calibrate. Are you going at the right effort in order to get the right training benefit? The challenge with heart rate is twofold. One is that it's individual. And while there are rules of thumb where you can estimate your zones, it's best to actually get properly tested in order to know exactly your zones, because those rule of thumbs, those rules of thumb can be wildly off depending on your individual heart and how it works. So you want to get tested, know your actual zones. The second thing is measurement. A lot of us are using wrist-based heart rate mm -hmm. now in order to get heart rate feedback, which is generally directionally correct, but isn't as accurate as a chest-based heart rate. So if you're going to use heart rate as a training tool, you want to make sure you're tested and know your zones properly, and you want to use a chest-based heart rate strap in order to get accurate data because your watch can be wildly off, especially during the winter months mm -hmm. when it's cold or windy and, and that wrist-based heart rate can be, can be very, very off. So those are the caveats. But if you have your heart rate zones properly and you're measuring it properly, then you're going to want to spend most of your time at easy efforts, just like you would if you were training, you know, by pace. And that's going to be primarily zone two for most of your easy runs, zone one for recovery running. And then you would get into typically zones three and four when you're starting to do speed work. But that's when you would want to work with a coach who could help you understand how do I then use my zone three and zone four work and probably a little bit of zone five work in order to get the right training benefit towards your goal. Right. And we don't really focus, you and I don't focus so much on heart rate training, more on pace based. I get that right. question a lot. And too. so, yeah, so you can use heart rate. You can also use paces. Neither are perfect. Each have their limitations. Personally, I primarily use pace based effort when I'm giving training instructions because I think it's easier to calibrate where you should be for pace. It's also mm -hmm. more accurate to measure. You know, if you're, again, if you're using heart rate, you need to have a chest strap. Not everybody has that. You need to be properly tested. Not everybody has that. But mm -hmm. with pace, I can, by using data points from training races, potentially a, a time trial and training, then I can give you pace zones to, to use for your training that can approximate effort mm -hmm. in a way that's, I think, as accurate as heart rate, if I have the right information. The other way to calibrate is just based on perceived effort. You know, we've mm -hmm. talked about this before in, in some of these sessions where when you're running easy, you want to be running easy. You want to be able to have full conversations. You want to pass the, you want to be able to pass the talk test. And I just did a podcast episode on this episode 306 that really goes into the importance of running easy enough on your easy runs in order to get faster. And I, I talk about in that episode, different ways to triangulate around the right effort. 
but one of them is just by listening to your body and and saying, all right, is this easy enough? Can I speak in full sentences comfortably with somebody who might be running with me? If so, then usually you're in the right zone. If not, if you're having to parse words or you can only get a sentence out or a few words at a time, that's a sign on easy runs at least that you're going likely too hard. Yeah, me on the hill today. <laughs> but um, that was a workout. That, that yeah. should have been, you should have been doing work and having a right. Right, a hundred percent. Okay, let's go um, to cadence now. Um, how important is cadence, and what's what is the ideal cadence range? Yeah, it's a good question, and I think sometimes this is one just like other things where people get fixated on a number and then, mm-hmm. and then use that number perhaps to de- to its detriment. And so sometimes you'll hear people say, "Well, one eighty step per minute is the optimal cadence and or people will be really trying to reach that cadence and just like there are rules of thumb with heart rate there are rules of thumb with cadence and if you're an average person with an average cadence then 180 is probably actually right but most of us aren't right on the average and especially if you're a little taller maybe a little shorter than others then that's going to vary and so so personally I don't like people to worry too much about absolute cadence. And I like to, especially if you're using your watch, to worry more about relative cadence. So yes, 180 beats per 180 steps per minute is a decent rule of thumb. And you should probably be somewhere between 170 and 190, depending on your height and your leg length. That's a rule of thumb. There are exceptions to it. But I actually like to look more at relative cadence. So what happens when you run fast versus when you run slow? Mm -hmm. You know, when you're running easy, what's your cadence? When you're running faster, what's your cadence? A red flag on cadence is if your cadence decreases when you run faster than your easy pace. Mm -hmm. So if your cadence goes down when you pick it up, that's usually a sign that you're overstriding that you're actually trying to use more power than you are trying to use cadence to generate speed. And that for us distance runners can be a real, real challenge. And that's a common problem that can create issues with endurance, but also issues with injury and or causing you to land on the wrong part of your foot, which puts stress on the body in a way that might cause injury. So that is a number that I prefer to look at is what's relative pace or what's, sorry, what's relative cadence when you pick up your pace if it's dropping instead of increasing usually a little bit, then that's a sign that maybe there's something you should work on when you switch to faster paces and increase your cadence at that point, which is hard to do by just thinking about it. Honestly, at that point, then it's really more about making sure you're doing the right drills and strides in order to gradually change your subconscious movements over time. Yeah. This is something that I've been working on because I am a rear foot striker which I've learned I thought was heel striking. It's not. And I've also learned that it's not that bad, but it's more so about landing beneath your hips, which yes. with a quicker cadence, you can do that. So exactly. I've been working on that. And it's, it's interesting. When I started running, I had a friend I was running with a lot and he shorter than me and has really short legs and I'm longer and I have longer legs. Mm-hmm. And so at the time, and I was new to running, I came from a soccer background. I know at the time I was overstriding, even though I didn't have the data to back it up. But he would take two steps for my one yeah. when we were running faster paces. And fortunately, running with him over time helped me just by sort of subconsciously trying to keep up with him. 
helped me increase my cadence over time. And so now, you know, I'm, I'm usually right around high 170s on easy runs and usually a little bit higher than that, 185 or so when I'm running faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something too I've noticed is on an easy day, I'll have to, if I focus on cadence, then I'll start to speed up a little bit because you're quicker with your feet. So it's kind of a mind game when working on it. It is. It is. And that's something I think that it is important to play with. I mean, now we're getting in sort of the more advanced sort of topics, but I do want people to realize that when you're going easy, you should still have a reasonably high cadence, right? It's going to be faster when you're running fast, but you want to make sure you're keeping that cadence honest when you're running easy instead of plodding along and letting letting it get lazy, so to speak, because having a consistent cadence with some relative adjustments as pace changes is important to being efficient throughout the range of paces. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. That was a good thorough answer. Um, all right. So we have next one tips for first time marathoners. So maybe let's do like top three tips that you would give for someone running their first marathon. Well, first of all, have a plan or a coach. I think it's really Mm -hmm. important to make sure you're getting good instruction, good guidance, because you don't know what you don't know. And having a plan can really help you get that. And I know you have a question later where we'll talk about sort of resources, if you you know, Mm -hmm. depending on your financial situation and what you have access to. Yeah. So we'll talk more about that. But, you know, have a plan, get a coach. You know, this again is where I think it's helpful to tap into your resources and whatever your local running community is, you know, chat to the local running store, get reps, recommendations from them, talk to your friends, see what they've used, but have a plan that is tried and true. That will save you so much heartache because it'll make sure that you're ready and prepared. Second tip I would give, which I would give to really anybody training for any distance is to make sure that you're running easy enough most of the time that is the most important thing to long-term improvement in this sport and certainly also to short-term improvement in this sport and you getting the most out of your first marathon most people make the mistake of as they build their long runs thinking that i'll just run my target marathon pace for longer and longer each week and so they'll build up running that exact same pace every single week instead of running at an easy effort realizing with a little bit of speed work that you'll then be able to run faster on marathon day. And that is a recipe for injury. It's a recipe for plateauing. It's a recipe for not reaching your potential and a recipe for being inconsistent if you're mm-hmm. due, if you do get hurt along the way. So make sure that 85 to 90% of the time you're running at easy conversational efforts in order to ultimately be able to cover more distance in a healthy way so that you can complete that 26.2 miles And I promise you, if you do that, you'll ultimately run it faster than you expect as well. And then the third thing I would mention is that the marathon, especially for those that have a half marathon background, when you start to move up to the marathon, then fueling becomes an absolutely critical part of the equation. You can get away with typically in a half marathon, not really maybe figuring out your fueling and hydration well. But when you go to the marathon distance, the reason we hit the wall at 20 miles or or so is because we run out of fuel on board and so we have to be supplementing with external fuel as well in order to make sure that you can cover the full distance and do it comfortably and by the way not hit the wall if you're doing that properly so you want to figure out your fueling that is a very personal and individual journey to figure out what works for you 
but that is one again where I would tap into local resources. If you go to a local running store, they can tell you the things to try, the options. There's so many different things out there, some that are more natural than others, and you can figure out what works for you. But every time you have a long run over two hours in marathon training, I believe you should be testing and trying out the fueling and hydration plan you're going to use for race day so that you can cover the distance without hitting that wall. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite part. You get to eat, yeah. have a little snack. The whole time. The whole time. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Was that, that was number three, right? That was my third. Yeah. Okay. Before we get to the rest of the conversation, I wanted to quickly talk about my partnership with Care Of. Again, I've been working with them now for a couple of years. They are a subscription service that will provide you the vitamins and minerals that you need to be your best running self. I think one of the things that's cool about them is that you can tailor it to your needs. If you go to their website, you can take their quiz, lay out details about yourself and your goals, and they will give you recommendations on what to include in your daily packs. You can also add other things to those packs that you might know you need already to assemble a customized pack that they'll send you a month at a time. So you can just simply take one, you then discard the compostable plant-based film that each pack comes in with one day's worth of vitamins and minerals, and then you're on to the next. For me, it became an easy way to remember to take the stuff I need. Plus when I'm traveling, like I will be this next week, I can just grab the number of days I need out of the box that they provide and take those with me in a really easy and portable way. So it's super, super convenient to not only stay on top of it, but also to be flexible with when and where you need to take it. So what I recommend is going to their website, taking the quiz and get started yourself. To take advantage of the offer I have, you can go to takecareof.com and enter the code ROGUE50 for 50% off on your first order. Again, to get 50% off your first order, go to takecareof.com, enter the code ROGUE50, R-O-G-U-E-5-0. I guarantee you, you won't regret it. So go check it out. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Nicole. Okay, because I moved that question up for resources. So somebody asked for some good resources for people who cannot afford a coach. Yeah. So what would you suggest? So, you know, one of the coaching resources that I highly recommend that I use for my first marathon is halhigden.com. It's a, you know, I know you've recommended to others who have asked mm-hmm. that question. It's, I mean, he's a old school, you know, pro marathoner who's an older gentleman now, but has really good paint by numbers, plug and play programs for all levels, for half and the full distance, you know, from beginner to intermediate to different levels of advanced. And it gives you a, a day-by-day instruction on what to do. And so I, I think it's really good. It's really thorough and it's really easy to follow with really good instruction. So that would be one resource, which is absolutely free. I think he also has an app as mm-hmm. well, but you can also just download, download the plans from the website. So that would be one recommendation I would have. I would also recommend my podcast as a resource. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have a lot of people that email me occasionally and will say, hey, I've used your podcast to develop my own training plans. And I actually have a few podcasts on building your own plans. So if you go to any where you get your podcast, the Running Road podcast, basically 307 episodes now of oh, wow. more than you could ask for coaching content where I walk through all of these things and some of it is just about foundational coaching, coaching knowledge. Some of it I walk more through on specifics of building a plan because once you get to, I think, a certain level of experience, you know, the Hal Higdon 
and stuff isn't good enough and you need something that can be a little bit more advanced and perhaps more tailored to what you need and what your goals might might be. So that would be another recommendation. There's also really good books that I would recommend. There's a book called The 80-20 Runner by Matt Fitzgerald, which I think is a really helpful book that, that paints the good foundational information about the things that you should be thinking about in any training program. There's another book called The Happy Runner by uh, David and Megan Roche that I think is also really good at giving you good foundational information. I believe they also have plans in each of those books as well. So those would be some some resources I would recommend. Okay, cool. Yeah, and to add to that, joining a local run group, you don't necessarily have to find one that's super expensive, but I feel like even just being around other people who take running seriously, you learn and pick up on a ton, which might not be enough for creating your own plan, but just yeah, for having more resources. Um, okay, so speaking of plans, um, why do some plans recommend 20 plus miles multiple times and then others stop at 20? Which maybe tie into this, how I'm running 20 multiple times, 22 yeah. this weekend. Yeah. 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 So, you know, everybody has different philosophies. There's even a very high profile plan that would tell the everyday runner that they should tap out at 16 miles. Mm -hmm. And so there's different plans. You know, all of them have a different perspective on the distance you should hit, as well as how often you should hit that distance. Personally, and our business road running, we, we thoroughly believe in the importance of the 20 mile run. If you're currently, if you're trying to cover 26.2, you need to be running 20 plus miles from our perspective, four to six times in your training block, even potentially as a newer marathoner in order to develop that muscular resilience, that aerobic foundation in order to cover the distance comfortably and feel good at the end of 26.2 miles. So that's sort of our baseline and it can be tailored a little bit based on the level of person and, and, you know, the individual, I don't, no, off the top of my head, how many we have for you, but it's probably at least five mm -hmm. in this block. I think it's five. Yeah. And you'll have probably one or two that are 22 miles in distance. Once you start to get over 20 miles, I think as you get to be more experienced, I like to throw in a handful of 22 mile runs because it just gives you a little bit more time on your feet yeah. to prepare, to prepare. But I'm not big on going beyond that. You will see some programs build up to 24 miles, sometimes even 26 miles at easy efforts in training. I'm not big on going beyond that because once you get to 22 miles at easy effort, you're pretty much guaranteed, even sometimes at 20 miles, that you're going to be covering the same amount of time on your feet as mm -hmm. you would at a faster pace on, on race day. And so getting that equivalent time on your feet at slower efforts, from my perspective, is as good as as going longer in terms of raw distance where you then might be covering more than the amount of time you will race, you'll run on race day. So those are my parameters. I also like to see people build pace work into two or three of their 20 mile runs so that you can start to simulate race pace as well in those runs, learning to run race pace on tired legs and things like that. So we'll have, I believe two built into your program for that. Sometimes I do three, it depends on how much time we have. But, but yeah, those are my tips. So four to six 20 milers, maybe a couple of 22 milers for the more experienced athlete. And then two to three, two to three of those runs where you're doing targeted pace work inside the run. Right. I actually personally like 
the fact that I have 22 because I think it helps mentally, even though I've now run my first marathon. So I know what to expect, but I think it's depends on what you're comfortable with as a runner, but mentally knowing that like the marathon is only four more miles instead of another six. Yeah. I don't know. Something about it makes me feel. No, more it confident. helps. And you, I mean, yeah. I don't, you for your first, we did not do 22. We did up to 20, mm-hmm. I believe. So yeah. you know, first marathoners, I wouldn't worry about going beyond 20. I do believe you should get to 20 training for your first. And then once you have experience and you're starting to think more about progressing your time, that's when you can think about going beyond 20. But I don't, I don't, I don't like more than 22. Cool. Um, how do you know someone is realistically ready to switch from a half to a full? Honestly, I think anybody can do it who's ready. I went from 10K to full. Mm-hmm. And I have athletes that I coach now that have not even ever run. I was talking to one of my runners this morning, and she's like, remember, I've never done a half, but she has done a full. So, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I don't think it's uncommon to go straight there. I do think it's helpful to do a half first and build to a full, but I don't think that's required. From my perspective, as long as you're willing to give yourself the time and the space to do it, then you can go to a full marathon as quickly as you have the time to prepare based on whatever your starting point is. Mm-hmm. At one mm-hmm. point at Rogue, we had a couch to marathon oh my program. God. That was, Gosh. that was uh, we did it for a year. It was a year long program okay. where you went starting in January to from couch to marathon at the end of the year. And so they first built, you know, doing a 10K, then a half, then a full throughout that year. So it was sort of a broken up into thirds. Yeah. So if you're starting from that level, from sort of a couch to 5K, you know, beginner level, then I would give yourself at least a year, maybe a year and a half to build to a marathon if you have that ambition. But I wouldn't hold yourself back on covering a half versus a full or when you're ready. Just make sure you're giving yourself enough time to build to the marathon when you've decided to do it. Mm -hmm. And so if, you know, as long as you're willing to do the work, you can, you can prepare. You just don't want to short circuit it. You know, don't, don't decide 16 weeks out that you want to do a marathon, give yourself, you know, a proper 20 week block for a marathon. And if you need to do foundational running, usually I say you want to be at about 25 miles per week before you start a marathon build. If you're at that point, you could be 20 weeks away. Cool. Good to know. Let's see if the marathon signups start to rise. <laughs> <Kick up. now. laughs> um, okay. What is a speed workout and how often should we aim to do them? Good question. A speed workout from my perspective is anything where you're choosing to run faster than easy pace for whatever reason. We call them quality sessions because I don't know. We like that word a little bit better. I guess it's less intimidating perhaps for those that think they're not fast or are worried about speed and what that looks like. So that's our term for it. Typically I recommend doing only one a week speed session for most athletes, even the most experienced athletes, because you're going to get the most bang for your buck in getting faster out of the easy foundational running that we've already talked about. So one day a week speed where that should be a focused speed session based on the period that you're in. And in any block, whether you're training for a half or a full, we have what we call the priming phase. Some people call it the base phase, those initial weeks where you're building your foundational mileage, doing light speed work in order to prime the body for more speed work to come. Then you have the aerobic strength phase, 
where you're building endurance, which is your ability to sustain slightly uncomfortable paces for a longer time. And then we have the race specific phase where you start to work on race pace, as well as do faster paces in order to make race pace feel more comfortable. And then there's the taper, which is the part where you pull back on quality and mileage in order to make sure you're fresh on race day. So each one of those phases has a speed work focus that's going to look a little bit different, but it could be anything from traditional track workouts that you may have seen and heard about to tempo runs, which you may have seen and heard about to what we like to call or what the, the, the Swedish call fartlicks or speed play type runs where you're typically doing timed intervals on a road course, anything where you're picking up the pace faster than easy, easy pace is speed work. And it can come in a lot of forms. Hill work. You got mm -hmm. to do a hill workout today. Mm -hmm. that, me. Was, <laughs> that was, uh, you know, the, the Frank Shorter is a, a great historic gold medalist in the marathon from Munich, a uh, U.S. runner. He, he likes to say hills are speed work in disguise. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's another way to get speed work or quality. But, but yeah, anything where you're running faster, I consider speed work. And then, and then really you want to find a coach or find a program that can point you in the right direction of what type of speed work to do when. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually shocked now that I've been in this, learning how many different types of speed workouts there are. So I think people want like one answer to what the speed workout is, but they can be like there's so many different variations and options yeah and it's i mean part of that is because i like variety as a coach I yeah i like to serve up variety to my athletes so that you don't get bored also there's the benefit of you know when you know what a workout is you start to game it you know like yeah your, your body starts to get it and, it and it doesn't necessarily have the same impact yeah as you go and so mixing it up causes disruption which mm -hmm. is good and healthy for fitness building. So today's workout is a workout that I have never actually given. And I was, okay, I so, thought it was new. <laughs> so yeah, brand new workout. Um, but you know, as a coach, you can also be creative because once you know the parameters at play, mm -hmm. you can start to mix those up in different ways to get the physiological benefit you're looking for. And so today was one that was one I've had in my head for a while. It's one that I've done as an athlete myself, but I've never actually given out so mm -hmm. how how long was the distance from the bottom of the hill to the top of the hill about 300 meters okay i had a couple of people ask today because yep. they want to go find a hill and do it themselves <laughs> nice um okay we are getting short on time i'm gonna skip well can you answer this one quickly how do i know if pain is normal or bad and when is it time to pull back or see a doctor yeah, good question. I mean, first of all, there's an intuition here that you have to develop. I just did a podcast on this. I don't remember the episode, but it was 300 something on okay. building your running intuition. And I talk specifically about this topic. So go check that one out. But, you know, we know what soreness is like. You know, if you've ever lifted weights, if you've ever done any physical activity, you know when you're sore and what that feels like. There's a difference between that and injury. And so being able to sort through that a little bit is, is feel. But I will give you two other rules of thumb. One is if anything acute happens, fracture, tear, pop, something that feels acute and abrupt for whatever reason, which isn't that common in our sport, mm -hmm. because typically, you know, we're not we're not running into those types of, type of situations unless you have a fall or something like that. If anything like that happens, then see a doctor before you run again. If it's a soft tissue injury, then 
you still want to see a provider and I recommend finding a local PT Cairo orthopedist who works on runners who can help you triage things as they pop up. But a good rule of thumb is typically if the pain is a three or less on a one to 10 scale and it doesn't get worse as you run, then usually if it's a soft tissue injury, it's okay to run. And sometimes it's important to run in order to create blood flow, which promotes healing. So if it's a one, a two, or even a three and not getting worse as you go, then usually it's okay to run. If it's higher than that, don't run. Consider cross-training if you can do that without pain and find somebody that you can see. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Sorry, the dogs just came downstairs and distracted me. Um, that's a hard thing, though, to know your limit of pain, which I have dealt with many times. Um, but I feel like when in doubt, it's always safe to go see at least a physical therapist. Yep. Okay. And then really quick, missing workouts. Should you continue with your plan as scheduled or how do you go about that? Like, for example, I missed my workout this weekend because I was sick. Yep. What's yeah, usually opinion? if it's just a few days, like two to three days, like your situation, you know, you had a stomach virus, got sick, we missed a long run. And basically, I just told you to pick it right back up on Sunday with mm -hmm. your recovery run. And then we carried on. In that case, we were lucky because it was a down week. So we weren't doing a big long run. So something mm -hmm. that was, in many ways, dispensable. But if it's two to three days, typically, what I want, want to see people do is just jump right back on plan, wherever it is, you know, don't go back, don't make up stuff, just get right back on plan and continue as is and don't worry about it if you miss a couple of days it's not a big deal if you miss a week for whatever reason then what i usually recommend is that you start back the next week at about 75 percent of what was planned so pull back about 25 percent. do all the normal days you would do but just pull back mileage on those days 25 percent and but otherwise follow the plan as normal and then the second week back go to 100 percent again if you miss two weeks, I recommend starting at 50%, then 75%, 50% for a week, 75% for a week, mm -hmm. and then 100%. So take three weeks to build back. If you miss more than two weeks, that's when we've got to have a longer conversation or you need to check in with somebody because typically that means that you're going to have to rebuild again a, a little bit more from scratch. Okay, cool. Um, and then last one, how do you find your goal? race pace if you've never run a marathon good question hard question to answer i do have a whole podcast on this there's a couple of different ways you want and it's usually helpful if you have a coach to help that can help you triangulate but there's different mm -hmm. ways to triangulate around a potential marathon pace if you have shorter distance races 5k 10k half marathon then you can use that to extrapolate what's possible for the marathon mm -hmm. by going into different running calculators that you can find online. The one I use is mcmillanrunning.com, but there are others that you can find where you can plug in that race time from another distance and it will extrapolate for you and tell you what's possible for the marathon if you're trained for the marathon. That's a good way to at least put you in the ballpark and then you can start practicing that pace during training and see how it feels. So that's one way another way is by doing a time trial yourself so if you, if you don't have a race result or a recent race result you can go do a two mile or a three mile time trial where you run as hard as you can for two or three miles and then take that time that you get plug it into 
one of those calculators, which will also have that as an option. And it will also extrapolate out what's possible for the marathon distance. That assumes, again, that you're then training for the marathon. Mm-hmm. It, but And it's not always perfect extrapolation, but it'll put you in the right ballpark. Another thing I like to do is just figure out how in training those paces are going. And while we won't do anything more than typically four or five miles in a row at marathon pace in training, we will do two, three-mile segments, sometimes four-mile segments at marathon pace in training, sometimes on Wednesday for you, sometimes during your workouts on your long run days. And you want to ask yourself, when you're doing marathon pace in those blocks, how does it feel? Does it feel sustainable? You know, you may not be able to answer not having done it. You know, can I run this for 26.2 miles? But you should be able to say, did I finish feeling like I could have gone a lot longer? If so, that's a sign that maybe you're on the right track. If you finish feeling like, man, I was tapped out or my heart rate started to spike, then that's a sign that maybe you're, you're pacing too quickly and you should dial it back a little bit. So that's those discouraging. Are a few that's discouraging to hear i did my i did pace work last week which now i don't know if i was supposed to or no two weeks ago and i was like this is not sustainable we'll talk about that later (laughs) anyway good answer thank you so much we definitely we don't have time to answer the questions that y'all have inputted um but feel free to dm me um, and then also, Chris, let everybody know where they can find you. Also, Chris can do virtual training. People ask me this a lot, yeah. um, how yeah. they find a coach that can do a virtual and you do that. Yeah, we have actually several athletes now that are followers of yours that have come to us. But, um, but yeah, so um, go to roguerunning.com, which I think is linked in my bio. Mm-hmm. The Colkin link. It's also on our Instagram at roguerunning. We have all of our options there, including in-person and virtual training. We have virtual group training, which is a little more cost-effective at $60 a month. And then we have virtual one-to-one training, which is $175 up to $250 a month, depending on the coach. And so we can work with you that way if that's better for you and if you have the budget for it. You can also find my podcast, Running Rogue, on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Google Play, all those uh, outlets for podcasts if you want more information there. And my email, if you want to just reach out to me that way, is just chris at roguerunning.com, R-O-G-U-E.com, running.com. If you want to reach out that way, I will happily answer your questions. Perfect. And I will share all of that info in my stories in just a second. Um, but thank you so much yeah. for chatting. Thanks Good for round of me. questions today. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Um, and Chris, I'll see you in a couple weeks. See you I know soon. you'll be gone next week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, y'all. Have all a right. good day. Bye. All right. We will wrap it there. Thanks again to Nicole for having me on. Thanks to all of you for listening. As I mentioned in my conversation with her, you can always find more and check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.